I want to talk from Psalm 1 this morning. Uh, very, very simple passage, only six verses. But um, something powerful I think we need to look at in terms of where we are with um, Psalm 1. I'm going to outline it for you in a minute, and then I'm going to share with you four principles on what this is really um, relating to. Psalms is one of my favorite Old Testament books. It's been my devotions to look at. So your stand is that I don't have a problem. You know, Christians today don't have a problem with nothing. I don't know why. They don't have a problem. You know, they, they, they don't condemn it. But they keep saying, I, I don't do it, but I don't have a problem. Why don't you have a problem? God has a problem. Your problem should be consistent with God's problem. The word is called S-I-N. Sin. People don't like to say it anymore. They always talk about the love of God, but they don't talk about sin. What is sin? In the Hebrew, there are three understandings of sin. I'm not going to bore you with the Hebrew terms. I'm just going to give you the Hebrew explanations. One way for sin is to break the law. So in other words, you know the law, and because of what you know, you're not keeping what you know. The word is translated for that in the Old Testament as the word transgression. That's how that word, the Hebrew word for sin, is translated in the Old Testament. That means that when you break the known law of God, it's called a transgression. Because you have deliberately broke what you knew to be right. And you did it wrong. You already knew what the law said. But you deliberately went against what the law said. Then you have committed what is called a transgression. The second word in the Hebrew that that talks about sin is the word iniquity. You remember that, that word? It's an old word. It means iniquity. The word translated iniquity is translated from a Hebrew word that means what you devise and think in your mind. It means your plot to do wrong. It's not just thinking wrong. It's what you're plotting to do wrong. That's what iniquity is. You already know. You see something, you know, you plan to rob that bank, or you look at that woman and say, I plan to get her. It's what you plot to do. This ain't thing about admiring somebody. You can admire that young man. You can admire that woman. But when you plot to get her, you now have iniquity. Because you have plotted it. Ah, so you can, you can sin by having a transgression because you know the law and you don't do it. And see, now, transgression is knowing not to do the law. It doesn't mean necessarily that you break it, but you're not keeping it. So you perform a transgression. don't mean specifically you have broken the law, but you're not obeying the law. Well, if I'm not obeying it, I've got to be breaking it. No, I'm passive. Because transgression, the word transgression means that you're passive. You're not doing evil. You know, so some people sit here in the church. They won't worship. They just sit here. They won't raise their hands. And the Holy Spirit said, lifting up holy hands in the house of the Lord. So they won't raise their hands. They, they're transgression. I raise my hand. It's not wrong, is it? No, but raising your hands is right. So you have broken the law. Then to have an iniquity means that you plotted to do wrong. Now, now don't confuse men. The difference between admiring and plotting. 
And don't confuse women, the difference between admiration and plotting. So, you know, when Jesus turned to what the uh, Pharisee was talking about, he, man, look on a woman to sin, he's already committed adultery. Now, don't take that look literally. It didn't mean that you couldn't look at a woman. It means as long as you didn't plot on her. <laughs> when you plot, that's iniquity. <laughs> now, the last word translated sin in the Hebrew is the word that just means sin. It means you've done wrong. It means your behavior is wrong. It means what you did was wrong. You actually done done it now. You didn't think it. You weren't passive. You actually did it. So the Bible just translates that one as sin. It means you actually did it. You know, and you willfully did it. So it becomes sin that you willfully did. And, and all of that, first outline, He's telling you that you are blessed if your atmosphere is not negative before you get here. You're going to be blessed. Read verse 1 again, the entire verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked mm -hmm. or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Now, now here's the last one. He, he, you can't walk. You can't make a stand that's wrong, that's against holiness. Oh, did I say holy? Yeah. Oh, something shivered in me. Holiness means to be set apart. The Hebrew term karah, which has, we get the, the derivative of the word holy from, means to be separated. Literally, it means to become untouchable. It means that God decided that I'm going to leave you in the world, but I'm going to make sure you're not touched by the pollution of the world. But the only way to do that is that you got to get into my environment so that I can keep you untouched from the environment out there. Now, the last part of, of, of verse 1, which is preparation for worship. I'm trying to pace myself here because I don't want to mess up. I pull out my little... This is my Christmas present. <laughs> no, my birthday present, I mean. So I can look at, look at my watch. Sometimes I can't wear watches on my arm. Electrical magnets in my body kind of mess it up so I can wear it on a pocket watch. So he said, don't sit with markers. What he's saying is that the conversations you have with people before you get here will affect how much you're going to worship when you arrive here. People are always mocking the church. I don't like those folks doing it. And you're sitting there agreeing. Mm-hmm, yeah, I know. I thought, yeah, I know. I did. You know, Pastor's message. Man, did you really like Pastor's message last Sunday? Oh, well, I know it was a little out there, but uh, you're mocking. You're mocking. Are you mocking? The Bible says, touch not my anointing. Amen. Do my prophet no harm. He's not preaching for your agreement. Amen. Amen. And, and let me tell you something, preachers, and I'm sharing this with the ministers here, you need to understand. Once you start preaching for the applause, then you miss the purpose of what you're to do. You're to deliver a message from God. 
that message may not always be pleasing to all the ears. But like Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Preach it in season. Preach it out of season. I don't like that. Well, that's too bad. I'm not preaching for you to like. I'm preaching for you to change. The whole thing is that you got to change. I said something interesting in Yale last week. I said that God doesn't change, but he tolerates change. He doesn't change. He's constant. He's consistent. What he says, he means. He's not going to deviate from what he said. But he will tolerate change. In other words, if you take what we call an anthropomorphic look at God, which means you view God in human terms, basically... Whenever God talks about you being blessed, it is always on his right side. You know, at the right hand of the Lord, the psalmist says they are pledges from evermore. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. So the right hand is indicative of blessings. So when you're on the right side of God, you are blessed. Anything he looks at on the right side must be So if there's a blessed side, there's a cursed side. See, we all start out on the cursed side. And sooner or later, because we get saved, we move. See, God hasn't changed. He's either looking right or he's looking left. Now, where are you? Are you on his left side or are you on his? God in the middle, he hasn't changed his word. But when he sees you, he's looking where he's going to find you. Ah. And then he wants to bless you. Because he found you where he is blessed side. And not on his. Come on, just say it. Not on his. There you go. So it's indicative for all of us to want to shift. Because God's not going to change who he is. But we can change where we stand. We can change where we sit, walk, and stand. Which means I'm going to do a little scooting over. Because as far as God's concerned, I want to make sure when he sees me, he sees me on the right side. We said, old folks used to do a psalm when I was coming to church. Whose side are you leaning on? I'm leaning on the Lord's side. And they would do like this. I always wondered why they did it this way. Instead of, they didn't do that. They said. I asked my grandmother, she'd go, child, you got to get on the right side. <laughs> Whose side are you leaning on? Leaning on the <laughs> Ah, uh, some of y'all know that, huh? <laughs> That's one of them old songs. You know, he sing songs like that, and he used to sing songs like, God don't need no matches. He's fire all by himself. Well, y'all know them songs, right? <laughs> That's the old church, anyway. The old church stuff. That's the kind of stuff they used to sing coming up, you know? And then they, when they really, when they um, really wanted to get to the people who wasn't doing anything, they say, I see the sign of the judgment. Time is drawing nigh. So, you know, it, it would be those, those kind of songs. So you get on the right side, 
you're in the purposes of God. So preparation for worship, first half of our outline, is not to walk, sit, or stand in negativity. Notice, you don't have to. Here's the important thing. Here's why you got to watch your circles of friends. You don't have to say anything. You just have to be in the conversation. Because that's what the last part of verse 1 is saying. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. People who are making fun of your church, laughing about God, and you're sitting there going, mm, mm, mm. well, I didn't say anything, but you didn't leave either. Wow. You got to remove yourself from negativity. I do it all the time. There's a group of guys who's up at Yale, and I mean, the, the, the one professor there, thank God, she was such an atheist. Now, how are you going to teach me the Bible when you don't believe the Bible? I'm sorry. So they were, ooh, 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 about the conversation, some things she, she made. She made some good points about the Hebrew and literature and so forth, but they were all sharpened up about all of this. I just removed myself. i like, I don't need to hear this because me sitting here would be in agreement with them. So I got to move to the other side of the room over here, away, because I'm not going to sit in the seat of the scornful. You make it fun. See, and, and see, part of loyalty to your church is you don't have to always understand everything Amen. that goes on here. But if you are part of it, it's part of your family. Uh-oh. You know, and you covered this last week, but I, I've got to do it too. Turn to John 6, uh, 66. And, and I, just, I, just, I just like it because you have to understand what commitment. Some people are, are endorsers, but they're not committers. What do you mean by that? Well, John the Baptist, you ever notice John the Baptist talked about Jesus Christ. He said that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. St. John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He announced them. But guess what? John the Baptist never followed Jesus. He endorsed him. And there are a lot of people that keep coming to Philippians, but they never really become a member. They talk about it. That's called endorsement. And, and John the Baptist became famous for being a great endorser. He even sent his disciples to go after Jesus. But he never stopped what he was doing and following Jesus. So he was a great endorser. And Jesus, giving his funeral procession, says from righteous Abel to John the Baptist, there is not a greater than John the Baptist. John has been a great announcer of the kingdom. But he who is least, he who has stepped to the reality and actually became a member in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Because they moved from endorser to involver. John endorsed the kingdom, but he never became involved in the kingdom. So the least person in the kingdom of God who's involved, who may not be so significant that we really know his name, is greater than John the Baptist because he announced it, but he never became a part of it. What does 666 say? From this time, mm -hmm. many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. See, when sometimes when, when people, if you are only here for the lows, and Jesus' numbers swelled because he fed them, 
Average diet in Palestine was fish and bread. They ate fish by the sea. The only time they really ate meat was on Passover because that's when they had the Passover lamb. But other than that, they didn't really eat meat because Hebrews didn't really eat meat. They didn't dig the pigs or anything. They only ate lamb. So the only thing they really could eat in the desert, the countryside, was really bread and sometimes water. Here is Jesus. The word came out that he fed the 5,000. And so finally, when they kept following him for the natural bread, in John 6, he transformed it to talk about the spiritual bread. He said, look, while y'all looking at the natural bread, I'm the bread. And if you eat of this, and they look at him like he's crazy because they think he's talking about being a cannibal. And he was talking spiritual stuff. Not natural stuff. Sometimes you gotta you gotta get the context. People go off and go crazy before they understand what you're talking about. And Jesus was talking spiritual. He wasn't talking natural. So then many people left. In other words, the real issue is you ain't gonna feed us today. And he tried to tell them, feeding you now. Don't you hear the words that's coming out my mouth? They are spirit and they are life. I'm feeding you. You ain't you ain't gonna have no bread today. What, the children ain't going to have no party today? Y'all ain't got no food at the service today? Bye. You know, if you ain't got a benefit for people, they don't want to stay. You know, you got to do something all the time. You know, y'all have some great things going here. Y'all have family night. Y'all do stuff for the kids. And sometimes people come that miss that at the time you do it. Want to know, y'all ain't doing that today? So, hey, I'm out of here. <laughs> So because Jesus did not fulfill their expectations, because they wanted some natural bread, Jesus said, look, y'all been missing it. Let me give you the real essence of why you should be here anyway. It's for the word of God. Moses fed you manna in the wilderness, and you died. If any man eat of this bread, it's all in the context of John 6, you shall live forever. People like, we out of here. We didn't come here for this today. And then the scripture says that they walked away. Yes. Verse 66. Read what else he says now. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Because he wasn't doing what they wanted. It wasn't family day every Sunday. We wasn't having fun every Sunday. We ain't going to feed the kids every Sunday. We ain't going to have balloons and party every Sunday. We ain't going to preach a word to have you run all around the church every Sunday. We're going to have you writing so you can get some principles for life. I'm out of here. What does it say? You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus now now he asked those. Now here's the principle. There's a lot of people that come all the time, but pastors got to pin on his foundation. You guys that's on the front. You people on the staff. Got to look at you. Now, you know, people walk out the back door, and it's just us now. Now, I just want to know, will you also go? What does he say unto them? You do not want to leave too, do you, Jesus? Acts the 12. He asked the 12, because these are the foundation. Yes, these are the intimate ones yes, who should know who he is. These are the ones who's helping him serve. Everybody else is just attending. But I need to know what my core group is thinking. What does Peter say? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Now, now wait. How, why did Peter get to, what, what was Peter saying? 
You know what Peter was really saying, Earl? He says, I have bankrupt myself to follow you. Luke 5, when he got the boatload of fish, and by the way, they got them two boatloads of fish, a boatload of fish in Palestine, according to Alfred Ermstein, when he was talking about the life in Palestine, to have a boatload of fish, the income for that, would last the average family three years. Why is that important? Well, how long was Jesus' ministry? So I'm going to give you provision to take care of your family while you are following the gospel. I don't need you to go fishing anymore. I don't need you to worry about anything else anymore. I'm going to provide for you. So because I'm giving you provision... I expect loyalty. So Peter goes, to where are we going? We done bankrupt ourselves. Now, I don't know what you just said, Jesus, but I know you're the Messiah. I know you're the man of God. Now, now, now the truth be told, all of us don't know everything that's on Pastor Ellis's mind, Bishop Ellis's mind, but we do know he's the man of God. That's all you got to know. I may not understand every message, but he the man. That's all Peter was saying. I don't know what all that they heard. I don't know what's going on. But one thing I know, nobody else has the words of eternal life. And I, I'm just saying, so what Peter said and what you got to get to your heart to do, regardless of what people are saying, regardless of what the, what you, where you're sitting at, where you're standing at, where you're walking at, your loyalty is important to God. All Peter was saying that, where are we going? We're loyal. Loyalty doesn't mean you agree all the time. But agree or not, I ain't going nowhere. Sometimes you hurt my feelings, but I ain't going nowhere. Sometimes you act like I ain't here, but I ain't going nowhere. Sometimes it seems like things might not quite right, but I ain't going nowhere. I might have an opinion about how things ought to be run, but I ain't going nowhere. That's all Peter was saying. Let them walk. They didn't get it, but I'm staying right here. In other words, I'm going to be loyal no matter what. I'm not here because everybody else agreed. I'm not here for the popular vote. I'm here because I believe this man is the man, word of God. Now, I'm going to finish this up, but let me say something. You know why I come by here a lot? Because I enjoy the worship here. I could go to a whole lot of places, but why? I'm loyal. I come out here on, on, on 9 o'clock on Sunday morning because I enjoy sitting here in the worship, and I enjoy getting a practical word from this man. Amen. Amen. That's loyalty. He ain't got to be a theological genius for me to listen to him. You understand? He ain't got to be the greatest orator in the world. But what I do know about him is that he lives what he say. And that's enough for me. So Peter said, he 
is, he throws it back at Jesus. Jesus said, will you also leave? Where am I going at? Man, I'm here for the long haul. Let everybody else go. I'm here. Can't get no more better loyalty than Brother Earl and them come, getting up, coming two or three hours in the morning to come here. That's loyalty. Look at all the churches he passing before he get down here. He ain't got to leave the state of Virginia to come to North Carolina, but what is it? Loyalty. And if you want this church to go to the next level, it's going to require some loyalty. Which means no matter what I have to do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to support no matter what. Not about me, it's about God. And, and I'm sure when Peter said, where are we going? He didn't have a clue, really. He didn't get the full revelation of what Jesus was saying. But he knew Jesus was the man. See, sometimes you may not always comprehend all the teaching or where he's going, but knowing he's the man, just sit there a while. It's going to come to you. You know, it's like I gave you an example about the airplane that he gave last night. It was a practical example, but it applied to my life. And I'm sitting on the plane going through the steps he said he was going through, looking up. Looking in the aisle. What? It, it becomes part of, because you assimilate what you have been taught. So if you've been taught right, it will make you live right. Oh, wow. Let me finish this up. So that's preparation for worship. Preparation for worship is don't walk, sit, or stand in the wrong atmosphere. Is that right? All right, I'm almost there. So now, the secret to worship. That's your second part, the secret to worship. Read verse Psalm 1, 1 verse 2. The but who, secret for action. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. The secret to worship is what stays on your mind. It is called meditation. Now, see, Eastern meditation is about letting your mind become empty. Hebrew meditation is letting your mind become filled with the presence of God. See, meditation in general is thought to just emptying your whole mind out. Don't think of nothing. Just get out there. Because when you start emptying your mind, you start letting yourself open to evil spirits. But the secret to worship is what stays on your mind. So he says, who meditates on him, who? The Lord, day and night. In other words, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, my meditation on him day and night, I'm meditating on him. I just got to think of him. He woke me up this morning. He started me on my way. He's giving me my health. He's giving me my strength. Had it not been the Lord who was on my side. You ain't got to say it. Just think it. You ain't got to tell nobody. You just have to. Wow. So the preparation for worship is the atmosphere that you're in before you get here. The secret to worship is what stays on your mind on a consistent basis. Because if you don't think about him, how can you worship? You know, sometimes I go to church and people go, what's wrong with y'all? Why can't y'all worship? Well, they, they, they can't worship because too much is on their mind. 
the verse verse two says. But whose delight you, is in the law of the Lord. Yes. And who meditates on his law day and night. Your delight is in what God says in this word. So you think about it day and night. Psalm 119, verse. We give your name the glory. We celebrate you, Lord.